Psalm 23. Y'all remember what it says? The, how's it start? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes on to say, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. All these happy thoughts, all these um, restful, peaceful thoughts. But then he goes and he says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger. Why? Because even when I go through the darkest valley, I'm not going to be afraid because the Lord, my shepherd, is with me. David says that God's presence is good in darkness. He said it's good in darkness. Yet there, let me throw a little twist. This is our final week of this discussion and the first week of a new discussion. They're going to overlap, right? David says his, his, his presence is good in darkness, yet I think some of us would agree that either in reading the scriptures or through others, there might appear to be a darkness to his presence. David says his presence is good in darkness, yet sometimes there might appear a little darkness that comes with his presence. At least Hollywood thinks so, right? Anybody? <laughs> Some of you are too young. Maybe you watch old movies, though. So has anybody seen... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. What are they searching for? That was Monty Python. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. What the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, they're searching for the Ark. <laughs> yes, that was Monty. That was the other best movie on earth, Monty Python. Holy crap. Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're searching for the Lost Ark, right? And what is the Ark? Anybody remember what that was? I'm going to ask this question again here in a moment. But the Ark had a lot of uh, spiritual significance, and it was a, an object in the movie. They, they realized that it was an object that had a lot of history with God's people and what God had done in the world. Anybody remember the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark? No, I don't know what movie you're watching. <laughs> okay, that's that's the last last scene. Now go to the go to the climax scene. What is the what is the the the, the big? Cresci- yes, when they open the ark, and what happens when they open the ark? Yeah, dude's face melts off of his head, like and there's like evil spirits that you see flying through the air. And it's wiping everybody out, and then people's literal skin just starts melting off their face as they've opened up the ark. So Hollywood believes that there's a darkness that comes with the presence of God. David says, in darkness, the presence of God is good. Yet there, the question I want us to ask this morning, and, and to, uh, I have a passage for us to go through, is does Hollywood have any credibility for believing that there is a darkness that comes with the presence of God. You know, is there any truth to what they've portrayed in that scene and in that movie? And, and, and where has this dark side that Hollywood portrays, where has that come from? 
If David believes God is good in darkness, then why do some believe that there's a dark side to God? Um, so let's go back to that. What is, it's the Ark of what? Of the Covenant. So let's get a few bullet points here. What is the Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament? Um, what is it? Anybody remember? Okay. Inside of it, we had uh, the Ten Commandment tablets. Whoa, spelled that wrong. Inside it, we had the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, do, 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 right? That Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. They put that inside the Ark of the Covenant. There's also a couple other objects. Anybody remember what those were? Manna. There was a cute little uh, mason jar full of. It really wasn't a mason jar. Those are not that old, for those of you people that think they are. Uh, but it was manna. It was what God sent daily to feed the nation of Israel as they walked through the wilderness. It was His daily food, and they put that in there as a remembrance. There's one more object that comes to mind for me. Aaron's staff, right? So, and the significance of Aaron's staff was it budded. It bloomed right in the midst. God showing his presence, his provision, his protection. Um, it was a significant event in Israel's history where Aaron's staff budded. Um, so they had those objects inside the Ark of the Covenant. Um, what else is the Ark of the Covenant? Anybody? Anything else to go with that? Like, that's what was in it. Now, what was it? Okay. It, well, you said presence of God. What was the other one? Represents. Represents. Okay. Could represent the presence of God, which would be relevant to what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Sean, did you have anything that you're going to... Say different or what's the covenant? What's the covenant? Like if it's the Ark of the Covenant, then what is the covenant? Okay, they were on their way. They received it while they were on their way to receive the Promised Land, the land that God had. Promised Land is called the Promised Land because God promised it to them. Uh, so therefore, it's the Promised Land. So they're on their way, but more directly. The covenant was the promise of God. Covenant also means promise. Okay? Also means promise. Uh, that he was their God. They were his people. And that was the promise that God made to them. You're my people. I'm your God. You know, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And then we have the ark that represents the covenant because it is not only a representation but a literal presence of God. It was, it was um, the ark of the covenant was a clear sign of God's presence on earth. Right, so clear 
We're going to come back to that. Sign of God's presence on earth. That's what it was. That's what it was. Moses would go into the tabernacle, which was a tent that was built as they were on their way through the wilderness. And he would go into the tabernacle in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, which is like a box. And then it had some cherubim on the top. That's really poor, but they're wings and had all these wrapped in gold and all this stuff. And he would go into the tabernacle and there... From atop of the ark, God would speak to Moses in the tabernacle. Like God said, I speak to Moses face to face like I do with nobody else. With nobody else. So here we have a clear sign of God's presence on earth. And then Moses goes in the tent in the presence of the ark and God speaks directly to him. Because God's with them. He's their God and they are his people said in Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, Moses entered the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord. He heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat. That's my incredible drawing that I just gave you. That was on the Ark of the Testimony or Ark of the Covenant. He speaks to him in that way. Okay, so here we are. We got a brief history lesson this morning. So for those of you that hate history, I apologize, but it's necessary to set the very applicable, relevant lesson that we want to cover this morning. Some of you love history. Some of you are tuning out right now. Hang with me. Hang with me. For 350 years, for 350 years, Israel enjoyed the confidence of God's presence in everyday life. For 350 years, this was in their presence, and it was a clear sign of God having his presence with them on earth. For 350 years, they had that confidence of God's presence on earth in everyday life. So let me ask you this. Discussion question number one. How would such a reality impact these people in their daily life? So if you had, for all those years, a clear sign, undeniable, of God's presence on earth in everyday life, right in the middle of your everyday life, if you had that clarity, how do you think that reality impacted these people? Like mentally, emotionally, corporately, what impact would this clear presence of God have on our everyday life? Shelly likes to make them yell. That makes them remember. So, well, I know, but mentally, emotionally, corporately, how does that safe? I'd say like every day is a Sunday, and you know, <laughs> you know, just saying. I mean, yeah, and more like just like today, we're here. We're more focused on him in this moment than we are probably in the rest of the week. Every day is a Sunday. I like that, right? So the refreshing, the encouragement, the safety, the security, the purpose, 
All those things that you walk out of here with on Sunday, it's every day. Why? Because he's so clearly in the midst of us. Okay? Confidence. Give me a couple more. Give me two more. Okay? How so? So one of the things that the presence of God did for them in less confusion, more clarity, it's when do we go, when do we stay, which direction do we head. When you've got God's presence so clearly marked out in your life that when he moves, you move. When he stays, you stay. There's no question about it. There's such clarity and such confidence in our everyday activity. Why? Because the presence of God, we're just simply following him. And he's clearly visible. So it's so much less confusion, so much more clarity. Anybody got one more? Almost instant gratification, I guess. You know, they're all the time right there and, and more visible to you. Know, Some instant. Uh, when, when you said gratification, my mind thought satisfaction. Satisfied, we're when we're gratified, we're satisfied. I think those two things are merging in my brain. I don't know if they're actually connected in your brain, but I'm going to write it because you didn't have a better word, right? So we're satisfied, right? And I'm going to say corporately that when we have a nation of people, thousands and thousands, and then we have the presence of God so clearly in the middle of our everyday life, there's unity. There's unity that comes from. Who are we following? What are we doing? Who's in charge? If the presence of God is visible in that nation, then I think it brings a new level of unity that comes with that corporately. Um, So, 350 years, here we are, living it out together. Um, In 1 Samuel, I'm going to read to you, today our main passage is going to be in 2 Samuel, so... Um, I'm actually on last week's passage right now, but we're going to be in 2 Samuel here in just a minute. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Um, But in 1 Samuel, I can't even find 2 Samuel. I get all my Old Testament books confused still. I need Micah to sing the song to me. Um, But in 1 Samuel, he says this. Why did the Lord defeat us today? Israel goes to battle against the Philistines and they got their tail whooped. They got whooped. I mean, they didn't didn't survive. So why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines, they asked? Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. Then it'll go with us to save us from our enemies. So here we are. We've got our tail between our legs. We got whooped in war. And now we're saying, let's go get the Ark, the presence of God that all this comes with, and let's take it to war with us. And they won't have a chance. They won't have a chance because we have the ark with us. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated again and each man fled to his tent. The slaughter was severe. 30,000 of the Israelite foot soldiers fell and the ark of God was captured by the Philistines. Plan backfired. It backfired. And not only did it backfire and 30,000 men died that day, but the ark was captured by the Philistines as well. 
So for the next 85 years, for the next 85 years, Israel operates without a central display of God's presence. For 85 years, there is no central display of God's presence. And everything over here is undone for the next 85 years. Right? So the safety from having God in our midst in everyday life, it's not there. Every day is now a Monday. Right? We've lost confidence. There's more confusion. Nobody's satisfied and there's disunity in the camp. Why? Because the presence of God, there's no display of it in everyday life. Um, so I think when I, when I read this and I concluded this, I, I'm like, this is me like on a regular pattern. Right? I'm, I'm sure none of you are as weak as I am. But this is me on like an everyday pattern. So when I got to thinking about this, there's like, I have, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm like got multiple things going on in my life. I'm a slow and steady sort of guy. I like knowing what I have to do for the week. I like knowing I have time to do it. I like to have margin, as I tell you, room to flex, room to breathe. I like things to be slow and steady. I eat my food one thing at a time. I don't want to mix it up. I want to eat my beans. I want to eat my meatloaf. And then I want to eat my potato. But I eat my potato first every time. So that's the way I operate. And that's the way I thrive. That's what I like. But here recently, as we have uh, the ministry thing going on, we also have the business thing going on with our construction and our design business. That's picking up. And we're getting phone calls on a regular basis, which we celebrate. Things are good. But with the increase of business, for me, um, I have an increase of, like guys at DNA Group Wednesday saw me, I have an increase of phone calls and concerns. No matter how well you do at your job, people call and they're like, hey, what about this? Or, hey, have you noticed this? Or, hey, are you going to handle this? Or, hey, you know, it's like, with the increase of business is the increase of phone calls and concerns from clients and my boss. Right. I handle the phone calls from clients better than I do my boss. Um, but interestingly enough, like we were at DNA Group on Wednesday night and I got a text from a client that I'm working with right now and every time I get that, my heart skips a beat. I'm just like, oh, I saw the... I saw their name on my phone. I hadn't even read the message. And all of a sudden, my heart has sunk. I'm like, what did I screw up? What did I do? What's going wrong? Uh, fear and worry take over. Um, and, and I begin to, even before I read the message, I replay my day and I create a worst case scenario for what I think they're wanting to tell me on the phone. And I'm like, oh. And because we have more business right now, I have more of this going on. When I'm slow and steady and I finish one job, I finish my peas before I go to my meat, then I don't have to worry about this because I'm only dealing with one at a time. But here I am. And when I operate in this busyness, me personally, and, 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 and busyness and, and the, the task at hand is the thing that is central to everyday life, 
and I lose sight of the presence of God that is in the middle of everyday life. Tracking with me? So like when something else becomes the center of life for me, whether it's business or church or anything, and the presence of God is not central in everyday life, then all of this is washed away immediately in my life. When business is central to everyday life and I get one text from one client, I no longer feel safe, I no longer feel confident, I no longer feel satisfied because that has become the center of my life and all the safety and satisfaction is so fluid and temporary. And it just takes one phone call for me to wash it away. That's where I live. And then I'm like scrambling, and I did this multiple times this week, where I would go, and it was just one of those weeks where I had multiple phone calls like this. Not that I'm doing bad, it's just when you have stuff going on, you have phone calls. And multiple times this week, I I would go through worry, stress, anxiety, and I would finally put God in the center and I would talk to him about it. And when I would place him as center of everyday life and I began to communicate with him about it, and I began to ask him for wisdom of what to see, how to see it, what to do, and then all my safety and all my confidence and all my satisfaction returns as he becomes center again. But then one phone call, then like that center, and he's absent. And it's just a steady flow of having this and losing this. Having this and losing this. Now, like I said, you're not as weak as I am, so everything I just told you is irrelevant in your life, and that's okay. But one day after David becomes king, David and some other people that are working with him, they decided it would be a good thing to return the Ark of the Covenant back to the central part of Israel's life, put it in Jerusalem again. We need to go get it. We need to bring it back to the center of the camp. David, that was one of the first moves that he made as king so that God's presence may become central to daily life again. The events that we're about to read about in 2 Samuel chapter 6, they make up what has always been one of the most confusing passages for me to read. And it goes back to how we started this conversation. What we're about to read, when David had the good idea, let's bring God to the center of everyday life for Israel again, the events that follow... Give us the question, is there a dark side to God's presence? So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to read 2 through 8, and then we're going to read 10. So he, being David, and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. That's my angel wings. I drew so clearly. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, who were sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the cart. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of Firwood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. They were having a party here. 
And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah, who was the son of Abinadab, was walking with the cart. Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And he died there the next, next to the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So now David was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom. Is there a darkness to the presence of God? When you read this, you're like, ah, this is weird. This is confusing. This is somewhat scary. So here's my response to this passage, and then we're going to figure it out. What the? That's my theological response to such a confusing passage. So a handful of questions for us. Was David desiring a good thing when he wanted to bring the presence of God back to center? Was he wanting a good thing to have God's presence as the center of everyday life again? Was that good? Was he wrong for that? It was a good thing. Can we agree to that? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Was Yuza doing an evil thing by lending a hand to stop the ark from falling? Was that an evil intended thing? Like, did he desire to do harm in that? What an evil thing. He's trying to help, dude. Can we sympathize with David's anger against God? David's like, God, we wanted you as the center of everyday life again. And when we want this good thing and Yuza tries to do a good thing, now you do this thing? Forget it. Send the ark away. We're not doing this. Can we sympathize with that? Yeah, like, God, I wanted you as center of everyday life. And then from day one from that, you just do this. If this is what it looks like to seek God in the center of everyday life, forget it. Let's just move on. Yeah, I get that. Verse 7 said, God struck Yuza dead for his irreverence. For his irreverence. That means for his error. Another word that I found was hastiness. Because he was hasty in error and irreverence. That's why he was struck dead, it says. So here we go. Irreverence did not start with David's desire. Irreverence did not start with Yuza's reach. The error was thinking they could walk whoop, could walk in God's presence however they choose that was the error that they thought they could walk in God's presence however they chose however they wanted to we could do it you see the the ark I didn't draw this in our original picture, but the ark had four rings that were built onto it. 
And on those four rings, you're right, Sean, on those four rings were to be two poles that went through each ring. And those two poles were to sit on the shoulders of the tribe of Levi, the family of Levi. That is how the ark was to be carried. The presence of God was to be walked in that manner. And for whatever, whatever reason, we are, we are not privy to that, but for whatever reason, David decided that he could take it easy. Let the ox carry the load while he took it easy. You see that they put it on a new cart. You read that passage like, whoa, they got a new cart for this. It's like a fancy event. They got a new trailer to pull our new tractor, you know. It's like, this is a big day. We got a new ark and we hooked it, a new cart and we put it behind the ox and we did this upright and we had this party, but the instruction of God that was received through the law of Moses didn't include a cart and it didn't include an ox. It said you run the poles to the rings and you carry it on your shoulders when you walk in the presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant. For whatever reason, we don't know, David thought he could let the ox carry the load while he took it easy. Now, this is the first time David's attitude like that got him in trouble. That was the irreverence. What reasons might David have had for taking this shortcut? Let's just think, let's give David a little benefit of the doubt, or maybe you can be hard on him right now, whichever one you want to do. Why do you think David might think, or not, that he could take it easy while the ox carries the load? What reasons might they have had in this moment? That's a long ways. So, let's use our brains, let's strategize, let's be... Uh, there, work. Oh, right on. Is that work smarter, not harder? Right. We commend those people who work smarter, not harder. That's the second reason. Maybe they were just plain lazy. Focused on the party. And when you over-focus on this, maybe you under-focus on that. Right? Any other reasons why David might have justified or just neglected? Could have been ignorance, maybe. I don't think so, because I think David knew. But maybe he forgot. Oops. Just oops. We can also call that neglect. Right? Um, so, what areas of life, this is where our conversation shifts, and this is where we're turning into our next discussion series. What areas of life do you think we might do the same? What areas of life might we decide how we walk? We decide how we walk. And sometimes, just out of lack of knowledge, ignorance, we just don't know, so we do whatever we think feels right in the moment. Maybe it's 
overemphasizing one thing and underemphasizing another. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe we're, we call it ingenuity, right? So what areas of life do we potentially walk in these manners, doing the same? Okay. Especially the first one, work smarter, not harder. Oh, lordy. Don't be lazy. <laughs> Relationships. Right, so that can be dating, marriage, friendships, work, or just dealings with people, right? Work smarter, not harder. And we could say that when it gets hard, I get out. Because it's no longer smarter for me to be here. Actually, using too much energy. That's a long walk to carry that joker all the way over there. So I'm just going to put it down. Let somebody else carry it. Relationships. What other areas may these impact our walk? Career. Okay. Careers. <laughs> Our, um, I'll call it prayer and study because that's what you said, and I did not immediately have a different way to word that. So we'll massage that over the next couple weeks before we come back to it. It may just be right, though, and I may have an ego that just wants to change things before I write them. I don't know. I'm willing to say that that's possible. <laughs> I'm not going there that's too personal I don't want to teach on anything too personal uh, alright give me one more because we need like a four week series here right so school education preparation all the things that go with that are you thinking of that in the way of careers are those two things connected in, okay, so let me put career slash education. And we'll make sure to hit on possibly both of those simultaneously. So give me one more. Relationships, career slash education, are just personal relationship or prayer and study. Um, yeah, that's where I was going. Our cash, how we handle it. Right? So we deal with things on a, we we walk in decisions, we walk in activities, we walk in things all day, every day. And the mentality that we bring into them determines how we walk in them. Okay? Well, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know that the credit card was going to charge 20% interest. I didn't know that I wasn't going to be able to pay that back. I didn't know that it was going to ruin my life. I didn't know... Or, I want to work smarter, not harder in that relationship. So when it gets hard, that means I get out. And then I didn't, you know, or I was focused on the party. We were having a good time. And I was neglecting some of the details on the other side, right? These things make a very real impact on how we walk in these things. And we're going to spend the next number of weeks kind of looking at those. And maybe it will humble us towards 
towards David. <laughs> well, he should have known. He should have known better, right? So we'll come back to this. Let me read to you from 2 Samuel 6, 12 and 13 as we conclude. Verse 12 says, It was reported to King David, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of the God. Right? So, Yuza was killed. God got angry, struck him down. David's like, forget it. Send it to Obed's house. I'm done. And then a couple months down the road, it's like, dude, God is blessing Obed. Like, his house is thriving. David's like, we want it back. (laughs) We want it back. We want it back. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed's house to the city of David with rejoicing. And check this out, verse 13. What's it say? When those carrying the ark... They put it on a cart this time? No, sir. But when those carrying the ark, the way God had given them, when they advanced six steps, they survived six steps. They made it. He sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. Six steps in. That's like from across the rug. One, two, three, four, five, six. Throw a party now. We have divine approval. God is with us. We have his approval. We have his help. We have his presence. Let's throw a party now. And what, I don't know if there's, this is just what I saw. I don't know if this is what God meant but this is what I saw. Six steps in, divine approval was evident and they slaughtered the sins of their past. What'd they slaughter? The ox. Cut it. The sins of their past were gone because they now had divine approval. They were going to walk in the new way. In the weeks to come, here's my goal. I want to show you the divine approval that is on your life. I want to show you evidence that God is with us, He is for us, and and because of Jesus, you have all the divine approval that you need. I want to show you that. And I also want us to, 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 to slaughter the sin of our past aligning our walk in God's presence according to God's instructions. You, through Jesus, have all the approval you need. Now it's time to slaughter the sins of our past and walk in God's presence according to God's instruction. Not how we see fit, not how we've decided, not how we feel comfortable but how God has chose us to walk. We're going to slaughter the sins of our past. We're going to move correctly in his presence, in his approval. Okay? And this is our next four weeks as we move ahead in that. I like teaching this way because I don't have to say we have ended a series today. 
We have ended and begun a new discussion series today. Final thing, just a connection for you. The Ark of the Covenant. This may look more like a teepee. But inside was the Ark of the Covenant. And then the wings. And the rings. The wings and the rings, right. This was called the tabernacle. The, the tent was called the tabernacle. Literally, tent. Portable temple. So that the presence of God was the central point of it. How did Israel know they had the presence of God with them? Because they had the ark with them and God spoke from the center of it in the middle of the tent. Here's your Jesus juke for the day. The New Testament that says quite literally that Jesus tabernacled among us. He took a fleshly tent is the literal meaning of what it says. That he came to dwell in our everyday presence through the body and the person of Jesus. And that when Jesus spoke, God spoke. How do we know we have God's divine approval? Because we have been given God's Son. And in the old covenant, it was a tent and an ark. But Jesus came to bring us a new promise, a new covenant. That in the flesh, he was actually, that was his tent. That the Holy Spirit dwelled in the person of Jesus. He is the Son of God that has come to speak in your presence according to your everyday life. He wants to be the center of it. We no longer need a box with rings and a tent because we've been given Jesus. He is all the approval we need. He was slaughtered on our behalf, but he was not left. God raised him from the grave that he might walk in newness of life so that you might be raised from the sins of your past to walk in newness of life. It's all the approval we need. We don't need a box. We don't need a tent. Jesus is better. Okay? Next week, we're going to begin to show you the approval that you have. We're going to begin to slaughter the sins of our past and align our walks with God's instruction in God's presence. It is so easy and so natural. I think David probably just said, I got a new cart. Throw it on. And everybody else like, that sounds like a brilliant idea. Let's do it. And for a moment, we forgot that God has spoken. For a moment, we forgot that there was clear instructions of how to walk in God's presence. And we can't just wing it. We can't just wing it. Can't just wing it. Any questions? Comments? Going away? Is there any way we can pray for each other this morning? As we close, I know that 
Jessica's down in the weather. We got people gone for Mama's Day. Is there any way we can pray with you, for you, as we end this time together? That was just a beard scratch. That wasn't a... You better watch that. If you're at an auction, they might have just sold it to you. Tyler, will you pray for us as we dismiss this time? Remember, Wednesday night's the patio party for the ladies. I will be out of your way, don't worry. And next Sunday's the baby shower for Mark and Whitney. So, thanks, Tyler. Father, we love your presence, and I pray you would teach us to love you more.